0: Wisdom literature in Scripture is quite significant, and yet it's a, an area of Bible literature that is less studied than it should be. I suspect the reason for that is that we're, in our kind of Western culture, educationally, quite good at taking New Testament letters that work A plus B equals C minus D. They work in a logical way. What we're less comfortable with is how to deal with wisdom Literature. If you move to the other side of the globe, to the eastern part of the globe, uh, they're very comfortable with dealing with this kind of literature. But we need wisdom for life. I need wisdom each day to know what to do. I need wisdom each day in life, not in a sense to know what the moral right or wrong thing to do, but within the realm of what's morally right, which option to choose. That's a tough wisdom. Let me give you a definition of wisdom. Wisdom means knowing God and living in light of that knowledge. Let me repeat that. Wisdom means knowing God and living in light of that knowledge. And the most important thing I've got to say this morning is this, that there is a basis or there is a prerequisite to living wisely, and that is knowing God. You do not live wisely, or try to, and thereby in some way come to know what God is like. Rather, you come to know God, and therefore you come to know what God is like and how to live like Him, wisely. Key verse from the beginning of the book of Proverbs. You might know this verse The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, fear of the Lord, which means a kind of humility before God, an understanding of who He is that makes us kind of quake a little bit, is the beginning of knowledge and therefore of wisdom for life. And so as we study the book of Proverbs, it will ask two questions of our lives. One, are we living wisely? That is in font size 10, and in font size 100, by far and away, the more and the most important question, the fundamental question, do we fear the Lord? Do we know the Lord? Do we know Jesus Christ as our Saviour? Do we know the forgiveness of our sins? Do we know the transforming power of the living Jesus within us, enabling us to live wisely? So let me throw that question out to us in this room, whoever we are. Do you know the one who alone personifies and exemplifies wisdom? Do you know in a personal, relational way Jesus Christ? That is the prerequisite to living a wise life. Now, let me just read a couple of uh, verses from John 15. I think Scott read them at the beginning. Um, Just listen to the logic of this. This, Jesus' words, this is my commandment, he says. Love one another, that's deep friendship. Love one another as I have loved you you. What comes first is the love of Jesus to us, and therefore the love like Jesus to others. You see the logic of that. It is the love of Jesus for us that enables us to love others like Jesus. Or, in relation to our subject today, which is friendship— First, Jesus needs to be your friend before you can be a true friend like him to somebody else. Now, if we're not clear on that logic, and I may have waggled on the tea a little long in this or labored the point, but it is important. If we're not clear on that logic, all you will hear from me this morning is moralism. Moralism is defeating and discouraging Moralism is living in a certain way in order in some way to be thought well of by God or to impact others for good. Moralism is not intrinsically wrong. It's good to live a moral life. But moralism is always flawed in its motivations and discouraging. Wisdom is living out the Spirit of Christ within you. And that is a very different Thing. Here's my wife's favorite hymn. May the mind of Christ my savior live in me from day to day, by his love and power controlling all I do and say. Let me rephrase that hymn. That hymn sounds like, oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? Here's what a Christian can sing The mind of Christ my Savior lives in me every day. By his love and power controlling Almost, uh, we cannot stop it. All I do and see. If you're a Christian this morning, then Christ lives within you by his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the one who personifies and exemplifies wisdom lives within you, within your mind, within your heart, within your body. Now, most sermons on biblical wisdom end this way, even from the very best preachers. And I think it's wrong. The end this way. I'll talk all about wisdom, and at the end of the sermon, I'll say, how does that leave you feeling? And I'm going to tell you how it should leave you feeling. And I'm going to say to you, it, it leaves you feeling longing for it, because you don't have it, or crushed, because you don't do it well enough. That's the wrong way to end a sermon on wisdom. That's moralism. If you are a Christian, what I'm going to say this morning about what it means to live wisely as a true friend and be friend. that should ring true with you. You should have experienced that in some way or be able to understand the difference between a deep friendship with a Christian and someone who is not. You should feel what it's like to have the personified man of wisdom, Jesus Christ, living within you. So you should not go home discouraged. You should not go home crushed. You should not go home longing for what you do not have. You should go home encouraged because you have something that is astonishing within you. Now, that is one big waggle on the T. But you see the logic and importance. I'm not here to preach moralism. Now, we're looking at speech and guidance and anger and today, friendship. You'll see on the notes that I've used the phrase true friendship rather than friendship. And that's not because there's something that is true friendship and something that is friendship. The reason I've used the phrase true friendship is because we've got a tough task in our hands. There is like a massive gulf between what the word friend means in our culture and what the word friend means in the Bible. Now, right away, you're thinking, and I'm going to resist any kind of knocking stuff about social media. Let me just put it out there. Social media is fantastic. (laughs) Do You know the uh, GB hockey team starved themselves of social media for three weeks and won a gold medal. So the logic is, there you go. (laughs) I didn't have that in my script and I've lost the place. Now, I'm not going to knock it because that's just a kind of banal and crass thing to do, but, but you might have on your Facebook 472 friends. You do not. You don't, of course you don't. And, and, and that's just a very obvious example of the difference in our culture between what we mean by friend and what the Bible says true friendship really is. Now, let me read some of the proverbs on friendship. I've put them together. The book of Proverbs doesn't work systematically. I wish it did. I wish there was a chapter on friendship, a chapter on speech, a chapter on anger. Why isn't there? Because if you read Proverbs every day in your quiet time, you're going to get a bit on speech, a bit on anger, a bit on friendship, a bit on family life, because life is like that. It hits you in all these ways every day. Let me read, though, this list. It's not exhaustive, but they cover a number. A man of many companions may come to ruin but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Wealth brings many new friends, But a poor man is deserted by his friend. Let your fruit be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Now, let's uh, work through the headings on the right-hand side and see what we can learn about true friendship. First, the importance of it. Friendship is fundamental to who we are as humanity. To be made in the image of God is to be made for relationship with God and with one another. Friendship is fundamental to God's creative purposes, the reflection of His image in humanity. Friendship is a dominant theme in the Bible. The book of Proverbs has been referred to by many as a book on friendship. And the obvious implication of that is that we cannot lead and live a wise life without friends. You will not lead a wise life unless you find and build true friendships. And that goes whether you are single or married, a natural extrovert or introvert, a man or a woman. None of us can live a wise life, the Bible says, unless we find and build true friendships. Now, just to comment on marriage, often I'll hear people who are married, I say it and feel it myself, that their spouse is their best friend. Now, there is truth in that. But the Bible understands friendship as something different from marriage. It is unwise to rely on one's spouse entirely. For some, that is very, and sadly, and with real heart, clear. But for all that is important, What happens if a spouse is no longer around? What happens if there is a situation we cannot depend on them? Indeed, close friendships complement, enhance a marriage. It is my truest friend, not my wife, who will say to me, are you loving your wife in that self-sacrificing way that Christ loves his church. She's not going to ask me that. She is going to long for that. My truest friend will ask me that. Now, look at the first proverb on the sheet. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer to her brother. Now, in our culture, that may just wash over you. There is a friend who sticks closer to her brother. But in the culture of the ancient world, the most important thing in that culture was family. How could there be anything more special, more beneficial, more important to you than these family bonds? It's a radical, a provocative thing to say in an ancient world culture. And what Proverbs is saying is that a friend can be better than a sibling. The word translated stick close is cleave. It means passionate, loving, commitment. Now look at number four on the sheet. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. What is that saying? Your siblings, your relations, may well be there for you when the chips are down because there is a relationship, there is an obligation. There are blood ties, family loyalties, they will be there for you out of loyalty, but they may not like you. You see, that's what it's saying, I think. They're not the person that you necessarily have the closest affinity with, that you want to be with all of the time. One of the unique things about friendship is that your friend has chosen you to be their friend. And the point of all of this I think is that friendship will bring something into your life that family cannot bring. That romantic relationships cannot bring, that neighbors cannot bring, that colleagues cannot bring. There is a uniqueness to friendship. It is special, it is important. It's the relationship commanded in proverbs. Friendship. But our culture works against this in many ways. Let me illustrate one or two of them. Very practically, our mobility. One of the reasons I'd like our church family to remain static for a year is that I just can't face going through another summer next year when another 50 people leave. (laughs) And that's our culture, isn't it? And it works against deep friendship. Social media brings its positives and negatives. It is brilliant at keeping up with what is going on in people's lives and a whole range of acquaintances. We are the most connected generation in history, but it's not the same as true friendship. You can connect with true friends using social media, but you cannot create true friends through it. Or our culture's obsession with romantic relationship downplays the worth of friendships. If you go into a bookshop and uh, uh, look at a shelf of glossy magazines, they will be dominated by romantic relationships. Imagine our best-selling magazine. What's it going to be? Is it going to be who is romantically involved with who in our celebrity culture? Yes. But the Bible says it shouldn't be on that. It should be who's best mates with who. Who's best friends with who? That's more important, and yet you're never going to see that. If you go into a Christian bookshop, you're going to have to look pretty hard for a book on friendship, but you're going to get a whole section on relationships and marriage. It's the wrong way around. And there might be a suspicion in our culture of deep, loving relationships that are not romantic. And I guess underlying all of these, an individualistic, selfish culture that will always squeeze out true friendship because friendship takes intentionality, commitment, time over time. Yet the book of Proverbs says we cannot get through life without it. Now, how then do you find it? Now, in asking that, we need to be cautious of putting the responsibility on others. Let me just guard us all against the caution in a church family of thinking, Why is no one being this kind of friend to me? I think the right question to ask before that is, am I being this kind of friend to them? How do you find true friendships? Well, first thing to say is that they won't be many in number. You're just not going to have the time to invest deeply in many people. And uh, I think the Bible encourages us not to have too many true uh, friends because we don't have that capacity uh, within us. It's a little bit like uh, my relationship to you as pastor. I love you in the Lord. I pray for you. And I know many of the situations in your life. But I cannot, in a deep sense, know everything and care for you in that way. That's why we have small groups. And it's true of friends. You cannot have more than a very few people like this. Look at... uh, The first uh, proverb again: A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer to a brother. The contrast is between many companions and a friend. We may have lots and lots of acquaintances and we call them friends, but they're not true friends in the sense of what the Bible means. And without the true friends, we might have a whole uh, number of acquaintances but without true friends, we might come to ruin. Now, you might be thinking, well, I'm not an extrovert, I'm an introvert, I have very few friends. You may well be a person, though, who has friends that the Bible describes as true friends, and therefore, you will not come to ruin. That's what the proverb says. Now, true friends are few in number, and finding true friends necessitates discernment. Look at the second proverb on the sheet. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. How do we set about ensuring that we end up walking, which is a metaphor for true and real friendships, with the wise? Well, I guess practically by putting ourselves into a context, into a situation where we'll find true friendships. Now, for Christians, that means the other Christians, of course, and and let me underscore this, the friendships we have with people who are not Christians are very important. But the deepest friendships, the truest friendships we have and are to have are with people who are Christians. You'll often hear me saying, we need to make sure that we have a lot of friendships with non-Christians. That's right. But we have to be careful that we don't isolate ourselves from the context of being with other Christians where the deepest and truest friendships are to be found whether in a church family or in a small group, you see the logic of that. Or think of our young people, our teenagers, the friendships they have with other Christians of their age are so vital. If we uh, try and send our kids, our kids, Sally and my children, lots of camps, all the rest, of it. We, the reason we do that is so they hear the gospel, but we want them to befriend other Christians, not exclusively. They have all sorts of mates in school, but the deepest friendships for life. You need to be in the right context, or you need to take yourself out of the wrong context, where you're not going to end up walking with those who are wise. So, it takes discernment, And discernment means putting yourself in the right context. But there is another dimension to this, I think, that is very important. Uh, And that is that true friendship is discovered. Now, I think this is right. Uh, And what I mean by that is that true friendship requires a foundation or an affinity or a common love and a common purpose that cannot be creative, it must be discovered. Now, look at the third proverb. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Now, Tim Keller, whose teaching on wisdom, is brilliant. And uh, we'll give you the reference to his stuff uh, as we progress through this. He makes this point. In our modern world, he argues, sweetness is something that can be created. All you need to do is add some drops or some sugar. But in the ancient world, sweetness could not be created. It needed to be discovered. There were foodstuffs or things that were naturally sweet, and you stumbled upon them. And friendship is like that. There is a sweetness in true friendship that is discovered. To find a true friend is to discover that somebody else shares the same vision, the same purpose, the same passion, the same shared understanding, An affinity concerning truth. Now, Keller quotes C.S. Lewis, who wrote a famous essay on friendship, and Lewis writes that the typical expression of the beginning of a true friendship will be something like this. This is how a true friendship begins, with a phrase like this. What? You as well? You share the same vision as I do? You have the same passions, the same priorities in life. You discover that. You need to be in the right context, but in the right context, you discover it. You don't know who they're going to be. A deep affinity, a shared passion. Let me put it like this. Lovers are face-to-face, absorbed in one another's love. Friends are shoulder-to-shoulder, bonded by a common vision a common purpose, a common understanding. Now, I'm persuaded this is right. It's a very powerful thing. And, of course, the deepest conviction, the deepest passion we can share is our Christian convictions. Now, let's not be uh, super spiritual about it. Uh, the deepest friendship I can have is with a Christian who also likes supporting the same football team as me. Uh, and You know, you see, friendship shifts into the realm of common grace. You know, if I, if I'm a, if I love football, I mean, it, God is quite, you know, it's not, it's not non-spiritual that my deepest Christian friend also likes that and loves that. I think that's not non-spiritual, as long as it's the same football team and not one of <laughs> a few others. Um, now, let me illustrate it for me, but my deepest friendships are with fellow ministers or people trading to be ministers. Now, I've thought this week, um, they're brilliant sermons to prep because this stuff is really helpful uh, for life. As I've prepared this week, I've questioned if that is right or is it just pragmatic or circumstantial or a means to an end? Now, I hope it's not for the wrong reasons that my deepest friendships are with my fellow ministers on the basis that there are no other people that I can have the same shared vision, shared passion, shared desire, shared feelings of what it's like to do what I do, which is a vocational thing in life, a shared affinity. I think that's right. As long as they like the same football team. You know, it was remarkable on my last trip to Paradise, which is Easter Road, um, we just happened to sit down in this massive crowd that goes to support Hibbs, and there in front of me was a fellow minister. He's become my friend. <laughs> but you see the point of that. The person who is my strongest friend in life, I do not face face to face like I do a lover. I stand with them shoulder to shoulder with a common heart, a common vision, and the deepest bond that a human soul can have is the bond with a fellow believer in Christ. So, let me encourage you to look for just a very few people like that, put yourself in the right context, and pray that God will lead you to the person with whom you have that deepest affinity. Finding it is one thing, building it is quite another. Let me race through uh, these. Friendships need time, investment, and commitment. Now, in building true friendship, there are, and uh, many things, but I've put four of them down there on the sheet, that uh, wisdom literature uh, commends. You can think of these as building blocks to true friendship, or the marks of what a true friend is like, constant, careful, candid, and uh, uh, counsel. Uh, like me, you probably won't know what candid means, but it begins with C. C. Uh, So, constant, careful, candid. Constant. Look again at the fourth proverb on the sheet. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. True friendship is defined by its constancy. You are there for your friend, and they are there for you at all times and in every circumstance. So, let me say there, A thought comes to my mind, constancy must work both ways. You cannot have a true friendship where you are always there for them, and they are not always there for you. It's got to always work both ways. A fair-weather friend, of course, is no friend at all. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. And uh, the point of all of this, of course, is that uh, a true friend sticks with us whatever our circumstances. You see, usefulness is not a gauge to friendship. If you actually analyze all the relationships in your life, professionally, colleagues, neighbors, whatever it is, think of neighbors even, you know, usefulness. Everything is motivated by something other than simply selflessness. If our relationship with someone is because they are useful to us in some way, if they are a means to an end, they are not a true friend. A true friend is someone who is precisely not a means to an end, but an end in himself or herself. A true friend will do everything and anything at any time, day or night. Constant availability is required. And when the chips are down and that person needs all the energies and times you need to give them, you need to give them all your energy and time. Now, do you see why you can't have too many of them? Now, word of caution. Proverbs uh, is uh, realistic. To be constant as a friend does not need, mean that you need to be in their life or face all of the time. If they need you, you drop everything and you're there. But if they don't need you, don't keep going round and ringing their doorbell. Proverb number six, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. It's great, isn't it? Not them again. Uh, Like all my sermons, I chat away to Sally and I said to her, who's your best friend? And she told me who her best friend was in this sense. And and, and she sees her relatively rarely. Relatively rarely. It's not about banging on your door all the time, is it? Carefulness. A true friend is careful with her friend. There are different dimensions to this. To be a true friend is to understand the way your friend takes the way they're wired. It is to be emotionally sensitive to who they are, how they are. You cannot be my true friend if you are a morning person. Number eight, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Okay? Now, there's, there's practical common sense in the mind of God. And we need that. It's emotional sensitivity. You know, me knowing how my friend takes means I'm emotionally sensitive to them. That's a sensible thing, isn't it? So, if they're not a morning person, don't drive them insane with your enthusiasm in the mornings. And take Proverbs number six and eight together. Don't call around too often, and certainly don't call in the morning. Be sensible, be emo- but it's really more important than that. Look at number seven. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cool day and like vinegar on soda. To be a true friend is to be emotionally connected to uh, someone. It's to feel their pain. It is to feel their sorrow. It is to feel their joy. When they are sad, you are sad. Keller uses this phrase. You are only as a parent as happy as your saddest child. That's right? I think it is right. You cannot joke around your friend if their heart is sore. You cannot go to sleep at night and not let the pain of your friend enter your mind and heart. There is a deep emotional connection, a deep empathy, a deep commitment, a deep sharing of heartache and joy, and therefore, what a wonderful, wonderful gift a true friend is. What a gift it is. Constancy, careful, but also candid. To be a true friend is to tell the truth even when it is hard to hear. It is such honesty, such candor. That's what candor means that makes a friendship true and real. So, look at Proverbs nine, ten, and 11. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. It takes courage and real commitment to someone to openly rebuke them. That is real friendship. Hidden love, what is that? Hidden love, I think, means the view that I love that person too much to tell them what they really need to hear. What that means is that you love yourself too much to sustain the cost of telling them what they really need to hear. Such hidden love, the proverb says, is like the kisses of an enemy. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Flattery is like setting a lion trap. True friends tell you straight because iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Now, see how the two run together to be careful and to be candid, to be candid and to be careful. You cannot have one without the other. I will tell you the truth. I will say tough things to you. But having got that off my chest as your friend, I will worry I will worry. I will feel your reaction because I care. And finally, counsel. Proverb number three, oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Earnest means from my heart. Counsel means secrets. Secrets. Confiding in one another. Stuff that you can only share with a few. Counsel means being totally honest with one another. It means shared confidence, two-way, and shared care in light of that shared confidence. Building true friendships, constancy, carefulness, candidness, and counsel. Now, let me finish where we began. And there's a temptation that you get to Jesus at the end. We, most sermons get to Jesus at the end. Most of them should begin with Jesus at the start. Think of a New Testament letter. It's all about who we are in Christ and how you're to live. Most sermons are how we live and then you turn to Jesus for help. It's the wrong way around. Yeah? Let's come to him at the beginning and the end. And True friendship is Jesus-centered. Always you cannot be a true friend. You cannot live like this. You can, you can have facets of it in our society. Of course you can. It's common grace. But you cannot truly live as a true friend unless you have Christ within you. And what a marvelous thing it is that Jesus wants to be our friend. Now, you understand when I read these words from John 15 as we close, what the word friend means. It's not the word that we maybe thought it was, not a trivial word. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, Jesus says to you, you are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to me. You did not choose me, but I chose you to be my friend. Having Jesus as your friend means what? It means a constancy of friendship. He will never leave nor forsake you. It means a carefulness of friendship. He sees your every need. He bears and understands your every pain. He sympathizes with you. He cares deeply, compassionately for you. His friendship is candid. He will say in a loving way what you need to hear. His counsel is intimate. The secrets of his father has come to you through the son. He is the most faithful friend. And, and the other side, remember it's two-way. You are his friend too. You say, well, I can be. And if he is your friend, then you can be a friend to others like Jesus Christ. Now, let me finish with our church family. Think of your small group, whatever it is. Let's say we stick static this year. And imagine if all across our church family, God leads us to people with whom we have that deep affinity. And we become their truest friend. What a blessing that is to people. What a blessing that is. And I hope that when you go home today, if you are a Christian, you will not feel, I long for this. Or I'm hopeless at this. I hope you will feel, I long for more of this. And I'm not as good as this as I love to be, but Christ is within me and I understand what he's saying. I understand what the Bible is saying. And if you're not a Christian, well, come into a whole different realm of life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the wisdom of your word. Thank you that we can finish by gazing at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who personifies and exemplifies wisdom the man in whom wisdom is most powerfully evident. One who is constant and careful and candid and intimate with us in shared understanding of spiritual things. One who knows all our thoughts and deeds, our deepest and darkest fears. And oh, what a wonderful thing it is that he is our friend and he wants us to be his friend. And not in a trivial human understanding of that word, but in a deep, deep way. And thereby, having him as our friend, we can be friends to one another like that. May that quality of relationship spread itself, ripple out across our church family. And what a gift it is to give. And what a gift it is to receive. Help us to take it as well as to give it. Open up our hearts to this kind of deep, deep friendship. We pray it all in Jesus' name.